You're listening to Mature Allure. Here, we chat about self-care, relationships, careers, and all the things living a mature life includes. I'm your host, Sherry O. Welcome. Get out the way. Who got a watch? Who got the time? I'm raising the clock. Even in my feelings, grind don't stop. Got big dreams, want big rocks. I got plans. You got talk. That is real cheap, but it's really gold cost. No. Yes. How have you been? I've been good. It's yeah. It's been a long time. I mean, it has. my son has grown. I have grandkids. Everything. I was just about to ask, and I've seen you online with your grandkids. So, like, oh my goodness, this is so crazy. It doesn't even seem like it should be that long. I know. And his and his kids are older now too. Like they're fourteen and seven. So you want to okay. go ahead and yourself. So I'm Sherry Roberts Lumpkin. I am the founder and the executive director of the Rag Baby Exchange. The Rag Baby Exchange is a nonprofit that uses doll making to help women and children find their self-worth and self-love. We actually help you to create a doll from your soul outward, releasing negative self-talk, replacing it with positive affirmation, and those affirmations go directly into your doll. And you create this doll in your own image. And we have different workshops. We have a curriculum. And with that curriculum, we can branch off into different segments like healing, healing from breast cancer, healing from the trauma, especially, you know, ancestral uh, trauma and, you know, the traumas that we've been experiencing, Black Lives Matter, just the whole, you know, colonialism, capitalism, all that. Um, We also have workshops for adults workshops for kids. We have Raising a Superhero that's really popular. And that is um, children from ages like eight to 11 or 12, whereby they tell us what they want to see in the world. And we help them to understand what bullying is and how a lot of bullies are hurt as well. And then we ask them, how would they heal the world and what would they need? And so we go through all of these different things. And if they need a, if they need a stake, if they need a you know, a shield, a bodysuit, we create the doll in their own image. Actually, they're creating it, not us, but we're helping them go through the steps, almost the same steps that we do when we do it with women. It's also the same with kids, but it's just um, made so they can understand it. Wow. I mean, how did you come up with this? How did you come up with this idea? So I've always loved dolls, even though, you know, even I was a grown kid, <laughs> I, did, I still, I played with dolls kind of long. And then I also was a fashion design major in college. Then I was an artist, graphic designer. And so I also just, all those things just came together. When my niece was born, I created a doll for her in her own image because I, it's so many times, especially during those days, which was not that long ago, there was, that wasn't any dolls that looked like us. I mean, I think we can find them everywhere now. But my thing was back then, I couldn't even find a doll for the Christmas, a, a, an angel for the top of the Christmas tree. My mom and I looked everywhere, so I'd make her one. So after making this Christmas tree doll and this doll for my niece, people were like, oh, you should do this. So I started to make them and have shows. And then I also was a volunteer at uh, Washington, D.C. Museum called the Smithsonian, but it was the Anacostia Museum that was about the Museum of the Upper South. It's changed to the Community Museum now, but 
I was volunteering for them and they had a show of doll makers, quilters, and watercolorists. One of them happened to be my teacher, by the way, from college, but also they wanted me to do a workshop for the kids that were come to visit. And when they came, I, I did a doll making workshop. And as they were doing the workshop, I could see so many kids were like struggling and uh, most of them were brown and black and they were choosing light skins and blonde hair and blue eyes, which none of us are gonna say is not attractive. It's just that it wasn't in their image. And I asked them, I would ask some of them if I could help them make it look like them. And they were apprehensive at first, but once I started to like mimic their clothes, make the hair in braids or have a shirt for a boy and um, give him some kind of staff, after they finished, the way they were looking at the doll and kind of giggling made me think to myself, they've never really seen themselves. Even though this was a doll that was representative, it was almost like, oh my God, I might be beautiful after all. So it was like, hmm, let me figure that out because I was also extremely shy when I got to college for some reason. I just was like, I didn't look like everyone else. I didn't fit in. I didn't think I was, it was just me. It wasn't them. I just was like, they're smart. Um, I just, it was weird. So I kind of lost my self-esteem and I felt like it held me back. And so I decided to just research, you know, how to develop self-esteem. You know, it was just little things and I started adding them. And over the years, I added more stuff and learned more ways of helping. And then I figured out like things about healing. And so each step of making the doll becomes that, you know, it's like you, we have like, we say it's six steps, but in those six steps, you find really deep things that occur for you. People are surprised because they're like, oh, I'm going to make a doll. It's going to be fun. And it is fun. But then they start to be like, wow, I'm feeling some kind of way. You know, I'm feeling like oh, this is beautiful. Like so some people end up crying at the end. You know, never really kids are crying at the end. Most kids are just excited. But when adults and young women take it, they often end up emotional from the workshop, the experience. Of, I mean, you know, dolls can be innocent. Dolls can be healing. Dolls can be used to tell you, tell people what happened to you. It's a really good tool for a lot of things like that. Wow. So then how do people participate in the program? I was doing like juvenile detention centers. I worked at the DC jail with these dolls before, and I also worked at schools. Some people will call me for workshops at their organizations, or they just want to come to my studio and set up a workshop. Sometimes I'll have a workshop and invite the public, you know, they'll pay a little bit. So that's really how it is. You can find me on my website, email me and want to develop a workshop. We can do that. But also we now have during COVID, we had to pivot. And so we recreated a box kit. So it's a doll making kit. And we started to um, send them to people and do workshops on Zoom with them. And so then it was like, maybe this could be something that we could sell all the time. So we created this box and in a, in a few months, we're going to have a subscription box and it will be about different um, places that I've been uh, and it will feature the doll at that place. And then somebody can make that doll and they could get the subscription or they can just get our regular Your Inner Doll box, which is kind of a custom box, you know, with your skin tone, 
you know, your hair, maybe your hair texture, possibly, and then some colors uh, that you want to use in creating your doll. Wow. Are you accepting volunteers? If so, like, how, how does that work? I need volunteers. I always accept volunteers. We need people who like to sew, people who like to put, you know, will help put boxes together, people who want to be at the workshops to help, you know, the facilitator out, which most of the time is me, or people who want to become facilitators, you know, um, that maybe can get a stipend. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is so great, Sherry. I mean, this is me just talking now because I want to interrupt you the whole time. I'm like, this (laughs) is so great. And like, I'm just thinking about all of the things that, like you were saying with the doll and how it brings out different feelings in different people that you may suppress. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Yeah. great. This is amazing. Um, Okay. So I did see (laughs) your website that you've traveled. Now, when you say a lot of the places that you travel, are you traveling as you or as a group or how does that work? Are you putting groups together to go into different places? So I'm traveling as me. It's usually the Rag Baby Exchange. The thing is, is that I um, work a lot with African-Americans and Afro-Latinas. And so in a group of women who are from all over the Americas and they're all Black or they could be Latina and not consider themselves black, but they are Latina. We just talked one day and everybody was doing all of these great projects. And we were all like, we should like do something together. We should collaborate. And so it started to happen. And one person asked me to come to Colombia, and that kind of fell through the first year. The second year I was asked to come to Cuba to the Afro uh, hair show. And they had workshops. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm gonna come to Cuba. I'm gonna do this workshop there. And you know, it it's um it's kind of hard to you cannot really get paid at those places. So what happens is is that a lot of times they will arrange everything in Cuba for you, where you stay, they'll feed you, you know, they'll do all this. But it's so amazing to go to another place. They have a lot of these issues that we have, you know, and oftentimes uh, Afro-Latinos and Latinas are hidden in the media. You often don't even think they exist, you know, and so going there, bringing my workshop, you know, having an interpreter while I'm doing it connects us across the the world. And when um, I did go to Cuba, I did get a call from Colombia. I went to Colombia and then I went to Panama and then COVID hit. And so I was, I was to go to, because I've gone to Cuba twice. I was to go to Cuba and Colombia again the next year. <clears throat> but since COVID hit, that kind of ended everything. And now they're asking me if I could get to Colombia to a different city, because I, I went to Bogota and I want to go to Medellin. And they're asking me to come to Medellin. So those are the kinds of things that we do. Like I, I sometimes will hold a fundraiser so that I can bring somebody with me and I can get, you know, my um, flight paid for. Because like I said, I don't get paid in those situations, but I'm always willing to, you know, do the work because, you know, it's it's necessary. And you yeah. find so many similarities, so many similarities. And then you also find that at one time, a lot of Latin countries were just like, we're all the same. 
we're not, you know, black and white, um, then you find out that Afro Latinas are still being kind of, um, it's still racism. Like, you know, it's not in the open, it's kind of subtle. And and they believe these things that they were part of the whole thing. And they even taught their children, you know, like us here in colorism, you know, don't play in the sun or you're too dark for that, or you're not like a paper bag, you know? So um, this year I have a whole campaign about colorism that I want to launch. Uh, the colorism is real, it's still real big. And it it's like the psychological effects of slavery. And so the Rag Baby Exchange is not solely on African-Americans and Latinos. It's for everybody. However, this group is a group that is really important to help lift us and heal us to know that we're worthy to be here and that we are beautiful as we are. Um, and I, yeah. I remember, I think when you were starting this, running into you in in DC, Maryland area, and you were just getting mm-hmm. it started. So to see it now, and you're really bringing it home, and like, you know what I mean? It's it's I'm one that believes in people dreaming and doing what they do. You know, right? So. <laughs> it took a long time though. It's like people at first, people were like, "You doing what?" What a dog's gonna do? I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Maybe I'm not explaining the right. <laughs> it's and, like and the thing, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's you. Yes. You're, like you said, along the way, you figured out the different ways and things that you wanted to add to it to make it what it is now. And you, it'll continue to be that way. So Thank let's you. pivot a little bit to the new career modeling. <laughs> new career modeling. <laughs> <laughs> that is so it makes me giggle because I'm just like, okay, at this age, you guys are interested in me. <laughs> that's so funny. Right. So um, that's, I'm gonna ask you this because if you don't want me to, I won't mention it. But what is your age? Because I think that's important. I mean, if you don't want me to, I won't mention it. But at this age, um, to say this age, you can say over whatever. So I'm I'm over 60. Okay, I would not have guessed that. Okay, <laughs> but but anyway, so at an over sixty and modeling, and there is a lot of that now. I see it. Um, Angelica's with Iconic Models, and they have a whole mm-hmm. mature group of ladies that okay. they represent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's something that of course they need to. I mean, you've got new, you've got magazines, TV, everything. People are older. And they need to see a representative, a representation of themselves. So how did this happen? So I, I have a studio in a place called the Gateway Media Arts Lab. And in this, it's a collaborative of different artists. So I have my studio space here. Another one may have one there. And and then also there is a place called D-Park, um, which is, um, oh God, I forgot the name, Designers Park. And they have uh, fashion designers over there and they're like a cohort. They go for like a year and then they switch over to new ones. Well, one during COVID, the cohort lasted longer. Right. And so I got to know the designers that were in there. And sometimes they would ask me to either model for them or take photographs. And so I did. And I've done it several times with different at different places. And then, you know, did this local you know, I did a skin line that didn't go and then I, they took pictures, but it never, you know, materialized. 
And then I did some um, fashion shows for openings of places. And so the last photo shoot that I did, uh, the woman, her clothes were just so beautiful. And we just did, we didn't actually do a photo shoot. We just snapped the photos of her clothes while she was working on them because she had to submit them to Fashion Week. And so um, we put them online, both of us on our individual pages. And one of the guys who photographed me uh, years ago for a skincare line, he's a, he's a really great photographer. He saw me in those and he called and he was like, I'd love to do a test shoot with you and uh, Maria Fenton, who is the designer. Uh, do you think she would mind? And I was like, uh, I'm sure she won't. So he got the makeup artist. He came to the studio. She wore some clothes. I think I shot like three shot, three different outfits. Um, and it just, even though we don't even have his professional pictures yet, it's just the photographs and the videos of the uh, photo shoot, the people were going crazy. So I was like, for real? <laughs> okay. And so then she asked to apply for uh, Fashion Week. So I did a, a model call. It was virtual. You know, I had to walk and all that. And they chose me. And so I went to New York. And when I got there, it was great. It was like back in the day only I never really did fashion week I just did fashion shows I never did fashion week but it was a long day no food <laughs> but it was all these all these young I think I might have been the oldest model there but they were all like beautiful and then there what was really great they most models were slim and tall but then they had some that were uh big models or uh I forgot the name of that but um, curvy Plus models size. So it was good. So I was like, okay, I'm holding my own with these beautiful young women. <laughs> and then, and it was just dynamite. So even though you have been chosen, the designers still had to choose you if they wanted you to walk. The first time I was standing there, they didn't choose me. I was like, okay, I'm here and they're going to choose all the young people. They're not going to, but then the second one was like, I want you. Are you a model? <laughs> I was like, yes. And so then I had, I got to do more than one um, fashion show. So it was good. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is, so do you think that you're going to move this into like a second career or you're open to it? I'm very open to it. I've already met some people who are interested in me um, walking for them. I, I just, you know, yeah. Uh, some photographers are like, come by my studio there. One photographer was actually from, from here where I live and he's already asked me to come by a studio to do some shoots. And so I'm like, yes. Um, yeah. I'm just, it, I still giggle though. Cause I'm just like, okay, I wanted to do this when I was in my twenties, but <laughs> it's happening now. now. <laughs> you're coming full circle. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And plus I'm better now because like I said, in my twenties, I was just shy, insecure, even though I love, you know, I came up to life when the camera was on me at that time, I probably would not like push myself. Like, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I'm not good enough, you know? And so all the work that I've done with rag baby exchange for other people has helped me as well. So yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, probably your real shine is now, you know? So yeah. Um, no, don't I, shine it too much. <laughs> um, so lastly, I, I meant to ask you this question about the nonprofit. Like if somebody's mm -hmm. wanting to start a nonprofit, what kind of yeah. tips do you have for them going into that or 
I don't want to say pitfalls, but things they could look out for along with some positive things they could do. So the first thing I will say is if you want to start a nonprofit, I think you should be doing the work. I was already doing the work, you know, and even though I would charge sometimes, but most of the time you have to charge, you have to live, but you're actually doing the work because when you apply for it, they want to see that, you know, this is your love. And then I would definitely get advice, even though it's a nonprofit, you still have to do your taxes every year. So if you don't do your taxes, then you have to pay. But if you do your taxes, you won't have to pay. You know what I'm saying? I think also you will most probably need a fiscal agent in order to get your 501c because you can't get federal dollars or people cannot give you money and claim it if you're not an actual 501c3. So I I happened to get a grant before I had uh, my nonprofit status. So I had to get a fiscal agent to um, oversee the money for me, even though it was rag babies money and pay them like, you know, one to 10% depends on the agency. So that really helped me because not only did they oversee the, the finances, they also taught me a lot of things, how to build myself, how to write down everything that I'm doing, you know, every month so that you know, if anybody was to have to audit or look at it, they could see the work that I'm actually doing. There are the times when I haven't done that as well, but, you know, it's really important to keep. The biggest thing I'll say is to keep your records and your receipts, because there have been times when I have gone to the, um, to get my financial statement and to get my, um, you know, cost of what I've spent and everything, and I can't find stuff. And that is not good. Like, yeah, because then you're like, I I didn't make that much money, but we don't know where that money went, you know? So yeah, it's real important to make sure that the financial and the IRS part is done well. I didn't know a lot of things when I started. And the other thing is, you know, most people, when they get a nonprofit, they start off with their board because you have to have a board. It's usually friends and family. That first board, friends and family don't, they don't know. Finding a board was very hard for me. They have a lot of board conferences and, you know, write down everything, what your purpose is, you know, where you want to go. You know, we might not like the, what are you doing in a year? What you're going to be doing in five years thing? Because something like COVID could happen because that blew our five-year plan out. But having those plans not only helps people to see, but it keeps you on track. It's like you, you'll be like so tired when you do this sometimes and so, and so used up. And then you can look back at what you've written and it can give you inspiration to keep going. You know what I'm saying? Because yep. sometimes you feel like you're so alone because finding that board that's symbiotic is a hard thing. And if you get that, then you can really soar. But when you don't have that, it's rough. And so yes. just trying to remember to believe in your, your whole vision and why you're doing it. And usually when you're doing it, is to help other people, you know? So that's really important. Wow. Sherry, you have been an awesome, awesome, awesome interview. I mean, Thank you. this has been great. <laughs> this has been great. And I appreciate you it's doing this really for, nice. for us. And I want to call you back when we actually have the podcast because Angelica will be there. We'll just be talking. Like, we don't have to worry about editing and all of that other stuff. This is just us chatting. So. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, this has been great. great. Yeah, and it's so good to see you. You yeah. too. Get out the way. Who got a watch? Who got the time? I'm raising the clock. Even in my feelings, grind don't stop. Got big dreams, one big rocks. I got plans. Who got talk? I just real cheap, but it's really.